What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me your meanings! <laughs> I was, you know what? I swear to God, I woke up today and I was like, I wonder what Ryan is going to say. Sorry. Continue. No, totally. My name is Jared. I'm joined here by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Ryan. What up, film fans? And Austin. Hey, I got a problem with pussy. What? Sorry, hi, how's it going? Where did that go? That's a line from the film. <laughs> I know. I know. Out of, out Everyone in America is a gynecologist. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in America is a gynecologist. <laughs> so today we're breaking down the infamous 1995 film Showgirls directed by Paul Verhoeven. We're keeping the Verhoeven train going. Oh, hell yeah. Starring Elizabeth Berkley, Gina Gershon, and Kyle MacLachlan. As always, we're going to go around and get people's first impressions. What was it like watching this movie for the first time? And what was it like revisiting it for this podcast? Let's start with Austin this time. Wait, actually, actually you know can we, let's can start we have with Jared, Jared this yeah, time. I was yeah. going <laughs> to oh. say that, We've too. seen it. Yes. Jared, okay. you, you've never seen this movie. What did you okay. think? All right. I had never seen this movie. All I knew about it was that it had the reputation of being one of the worst films ever. And having mm-hmm. said that, it didn't really seem like that bad of a movie. It, no. You know, I was expecting, I was expecting really bad. Uh-uh. And it was mostly... You know, it it functioned decently well. I mean, yeah, there was kind of over-the-top acting with Elizabeth Berkley. She's very reactionary to certain things. Some of her uh, sex was a bit over-the-top. Yeah, put it that um, way. <laughs> but I will say, and I think for the, the bulk of this discussion is going to be uh, whether or not we can consider this film a satire. But, you know, mm-hmm. it happened first with Starship Troopers, then again with RoboCop, where I was like, okay, initial viewing, initial thinking – no, this is not a satire. It is just to be evaluated at face value. And then this time, I really don't know. This time, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, upon the uh, and then upon thinking about it more with RoboCop and Starship Troopers, I was like, no, this, there's definitely a satirical element here. With this one, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have to be convinced. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, well. I have I have some things to convince you with, but yes, okay. go on, Austin. No, yeah. Did you guys know yeah. that there was actually a documentary that came out this month? I'm sorry, in June, June 2020, called oh, what was it called? It's called uh, "You Don't Know Me," N O M I. Yeah, and it's about the cult following that this film has. So I don't know if this was accidentally timely that we chose this film after RoboCop, hmm. but uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the documentary, but it's out there. I'm gonna watch that immediately. And have you, have either one of you ever gone to any of the midnight showings of this movie? No, but I want no. to. I would a hundred percent. I would go. Well, yeah. So I would just say that um, I think there are only two options for this film. Either this film is extremely self serious melodrama, or it is a satire. And I a hundred percent think it's the latter. And after watching, <laughs> after watching Starship Troopers and RoboCop. And then watching this last night, I was laughing my fucking ass off watching this movie. Like, I'm talking out loud because it is it has to be. It has to be aware of how silly it is. Like that line where he's the the old boss from the strip club is like something like oh, what do you do you It must be weird for people not to come on yeah. you. <laughs> like, come on. Come on. Like like and then the line that I used at the beginning where the guy's like, I got a problem with pussy. It like it just it's like <laughs> Where does this even come? The dialogue is so bad. The the girl fight over the chips, like it's just so. Either this person has absolutely no clue about human beings, 
which is possible. <laughs> or this is intended to be kind of awkward, stilted, and I think a really ultimately a satire on American ambition, particularly in the form of Hollywood. Right? I think that's what this film is about. I think it's a social commentary on Hollywood, but in the form of an exploitation film that's really entertaining. So, yes. So, but- so that's what I think. Um, I fucking loved actually watching it last night because it's the first time I've seen it in a while. But I remember the first time that I ever saw it, I just remember all the hubbub about it because it was NC-17 and then it was Elizabeth Berkley from Saved by the Bell. It was Jesse. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Like, it was fucking her. It was the lovable, nerdy Jesse from Saved by the Bell who is taking off her clothes and dancing. And I was like, oh my God. And there was so much shit like the storm around this film when it first came out because it got that nc-17 rating brought so much negative attention to it that's what i remember that's what i remember more than anything about my first like introduction to the film hell yeah uh i i love the shit out of this movie and in terms of answering the question on whether it's a satire absolutely I think it is, but with a big caveat, it is a Paul Verhoeven satire, which he <laughs> yeah. makes a very specific kind of – he has a very specific humor. A, he's a guy what? from uh, he's, he's Dutch, right? Am I crazy? Yeah, he's from okay. the Netherlands. Yeah, so he's uh, – uh, and he's making these very – you know, he's making movies about American culture. Yes. And about, specifically, this is like kind of 90s. He was big in the 90s. You know, he had Basic Instinct, Starship Troopers in this movie, boom, boom, boom. And all, and, and especially this and Starship Troopers uh, have in common. And, and I think that this is huge. You know, 90% of movies is casting, they said, or Robert Altman, I think, <laughs> said that. And uh, casting Elizabeth Berkley and casting uh, as the lead in this role and casting. Um, the whole cast of 90210, uh, uh, the soap opera stars for Starship Troopers, is absolutely a part of the satirical element of the yes. movie. And it's like – it's a version of stunt casting, but he owns it. You know, it's not – it doesn't kind of – it is stunt casting, but it, 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 he pulls it off. And Elizabeth uh, Berkeley is the perfect – I know they, they offered this role to a whole bunch of people, but just the fact that it ended up going to her, you know, the Saved by the Bell star – like, uh, like he has, he, and like you said, it's so ridiculous, and he's coming at it, you know, like like critiquing American culture from this Dutch, uh, from his Dutch perspective, uh, and and he has a very bizarre sense of humor. If you watch any of his movies, that yeah, I, I think that what he's doing is a bunch of things at once. He's making a genre picture. He wants it to be entertaining first and foremost, an exploitation film, like you said, a big budget exploitation film, like a forty-five million dollar one, and. On top of that, he's he's interjecting these satirical elements into it. But like you said, it, it, it's a very much a, you know, it's the American dream arc story. It's like I'm going to go out, I'm going to make it, you know, uh, 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 be all you can be. And, but it's like this perverted version of it because it's in the seedy underbelly of, of Las Vegas. But then you also have just how people are – then you have the whole – uh, a theme of you know people being abused, uh, strip, you know the whole life of being a stripper, you know, and, and going down that rabbit hole, um, all on top of it. Here, here's the button at the end of the film. When she leaves, where is she going? Exactly, to L.A. To L.A. She's, yeah, for bigger fucking uh, uh, bigger Just heights. To be a bigger whore. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Right. Because we're all because yeah. we're all fucking prostitutes, and, and she, she robs. What an arc! She robs the guy who robbed her, you know, at the beginning. So she's taken over, and it's so cheesy because the name Nomi is literally like Know Me K N O 
W, me, but also not oh me, God. like know me, like a negation of me. And then what does she say at the end when that Elvis looking dude picks her up? She, uh, he's like, what did you win? And she's like, myself. Like, like, like she found, <laughs> yeah, like perfect. she found herself. Like she was this troubled past. She had this troubled past. Clearly she's a badass. She carries a knife. She said she didn't want to do the drugs, but she clearly knew how to do the drugs. Like she, she was trying to find herself and she found herself. She found herself in struggle and now she can go to LA and truly blossom. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and mind you kind of like RoboCop and stuff. This is all like, like we're talking about the satirical elements of this, but like it's, it's a very light movie too. Like he, it's, he takes these heavy themes and kind of does a, a light or light touch. And I don't know if it's actually as successful in this movie too. Cause I think like, like, you know, there's some pretty rough stuff that is over the top in this film, you know? So, in terms of that, I can see why it's muddy in terms of am I supposed to be like getting off to this or am I supposed to be entertained by this or am mm. I supposed to be feeling something intellectual about this and is he making a greater point? And I think that uh, uh, that is, he's not as successful as in like RoboCop or Starship Troopers, which is, I don't know, as it's different. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, I did some reading about various people and whether they actually do consider it uh, – a satire or not and it's pretty split down the middle there seems to be a lot of people who are making these arguments for why it does have a satirical element to it and there are other people who are saying that no it is an erotic drama that just does not work on either on either level either as a piece of erotica or as a drama they just don't get it man but see, do you not think that that's because they're trying to judge it based on basic instinct whereas we're judging it potentially based on RoboCop and Starship Troopers, right? And Basic Instinct, well, then I, basic instinct is an erotic that necessarily drama. necessarily we're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But it's kind of like yeah. the lens, the aperture through which we're looking at the film, right? When the movie came out, yeah, he had just been – really, he was a hot director off Basic Instinct. Him and Joe Estevez, the guy that, that, that wrote, wrote Basic it. Instinct – and I think, and, and I think that I, I read an interview too, where they were both were like, "Yeah, we've kind of figured we could just do whatever we want, and we we're on top of the world, and we've kind of pushed stuff too far." I mean, I think that they look at this movie as a big failure on every regard, uh, uh, but you know, it's been re rediscovered yes. here in 2020. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and it won all the Razzies, and Verhoeven actually showed up to accept his Razzie. For, Good for him for worst film for worst it, film. Yeah, yeah, that rules. So, I mean, part of me is wondering if. He accepting his Razzie is still on that elevated Dutch pedestal saying, oh, these American idiots, they just didn't get it. And, I'm, and, and in a sense, this Razzie is like an Oscar for me. Yeah. Oh, dude, he laughed all the way to the bank, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. With his yeah. Razzie. All right. Let's go into a recap of this movie. So Nomi Malone is a drifter who hitchhikes to Vegas in hopes of being a dancer. After getting ripped off by her driver, she meets and becomes roommates with Molly, a costume designer who invites Nomi to see the backstage glamour of the topless Vegas show Goddess. Nomi gets a job as a stripper where she catches the eye of Goddess star Crystal Connors, whose interest in Nomi seems to waver between wanting to help her career and prove to her that she's nothing but a whore. One night, Nomi meets a bouncer named James who sees great potential in her as a serious dancer. He tries to recruit her to a routine he wrote for her, but she rejects him. With Crystal's help, Nomi gets a job as a dancer in Goddess, but Crystal's benevolence is quickly thrown into question when she gets Nomi a one-day job at a conference where she is expected to please a high-rolling guest. So Nomi seduces Crystal's boyfriend, Zack, as revenge. In return, Zack gets her the role of Crystal's understudy. But when Crystal's lawyer gets involved, the offer is rescinded. 
Crystal provokes Nomi, causing Nomi to push Crystal down a flight of stairs, making her unable to perform and elevating Nomi to the star of the show. At a celebration for Nomi, Molly meets her musical idol Andrew Carver. Carver takes her to the back and with his bodyguards, rapes and beats her. At the hospital, Nomi seeks justice for Molly, but Zack suggests that they will pay Molly off to protect Andrew. Zack then confronts Nomi about her past as a prostitute and blackmails her to keep quiet about the incident. Seeking vengeance, Nomi tracks down Andrew and beats the shit out of him. Crystal forgives Nomi, and Nomi decides to leave the Vegas life behind and hitchhike to Los Angeles. Coincidentally, she gets the same driver that drove her to Vegas and demands her stuff back at knife point. End of movie. Full circle. <laughs> Alright guys, before we continue, I want to give a shout out to Storyblocks for sponsoring this episode. Storyblocks is a massive stock library that includes photos, videos, music, sound bites, and so much more. With a membership, you can download unlimited content and use it for personal or commercial use royalty-free. As a video creator and podcaster, I can say a content library is invaluable. We never have to worry about going over budget to license the perfect song or clip. It's a great time saver, and again, you don't have to worry that you're stealing someone else's assets for your project. Storyblocks goes above and beyond other libraries because they offer more than just stock footage. You can access After Effects templates, illustrations, and other essential project files. So, find the song to finish your podcast or the photo to include on your new website with a Storyblocks membership. They offer an unlimited all-access plan that gives you the ability to download content from the library with over 1 million assets. They're constantly updating and adding to it, so check it out today. Click the link in the show notes or go to storyblocks.com wisecrack to find out more. And now, back to the show. Alright guys, so when we talk about Starship Troopers and RoboCop, both movies have a setting that is definitely a dystopia. And I was wondering, I wanted to start with that, the setting of this movie. Do you think that there's a similar dystopic element to this image of Vegas? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone's an asshole in this movie. Everyone's selfish and greedy and in it for themselves, and they deal in the vices of life, you know. And um, and that's it. That's the that's the setting of the movie. It's, it's all the caricatures <laughs> that you think about, like uh, the the underside of the glitz and glamour, right? Like people just out for themselves, um, dudes all just being misogynistic assholes. Um, uh, women entertainers being cutthroat and catty and jealous. Um, it's all of the caricatures that you think about in like the entertainment industry added to the caricatures that you think about like rich people with like that ridiculous house that Kyle McLaughlin has that is so tacky with the light up palm trees. Like, bro, bro, when, when that <laughs> went on, I literally started laughing. I was like, that is so tacky, man. Like this gorgeous fucking sprawl and these like light up christmas decorations basically is what they look like um so it's everything but like in caricatured form and um and yeah i do i ultimately think it's it's not really a story about vegas i think it's a kind of more it's a more it's a story about a certain type of ambition right uh, a very particular american spirit that that Europeans oftentimes can be fascinated with sometimes that they can enjoy and they could say, man, I wish we had a little bit of that. You know, I had a lot of friends when I was doing a lot of enter entertainment stuff, particularly in front of the camera in the UK that were like, man, we love the American ambition, positivity, you know, that you can go out there and like take everything by the grab the bull by the horns kind of mentality. Like we don't have that. And then at the same time, you also have other people that are like, Jesus, Americans, you guys are so fucking full of yourselves. Like get over yourselves. Everything is too big. Everything is too much. Everything's over the top, blah, blah, blah. And I think there's like this interesting fascination and 
criticism of all of the excesses, the caricatured excesses of the entertainment industry that's put into Vegas as well. And you have to remember too, like Europeans go to Vegas like all the time to fucking travel and Vegas isn't a place that actually is authentically represented in this film because it's only understood as being a very particular small experience of Vegas, like the showy part of Vegas. And I mean that not like in the sense of just spectacle, it's that too, but like the shows in Vegas, because this is a film about performance and about performers. So totally. And on that note, Jared, I I actually, uh, the the main thing I kept thinking about watching this movie was how much I related to the character and, and, and um, me and you have the same kind of story that, you know, we, we went out to L.A. from our homes trying to go, you know, make it in Hollywood. You know, like mm-hmm. Vegas was our <laughs> – Hollywood was our Vegas. And so I really related to her just whole character. How much did you charge when hooking, Ryan? <laughs> I, I don't want to get into my prices, okay? <laughs> it's confidential, all right? I don't want it to be undercut later. But – um, I definitely related to her story of just like, all right, it, uh, I'm going to go out to this city. No one knows me. That's yeah. a very uh, important part of it is that you're going to this place. You have these dreams, these ambitions. No one knows you. And that was kind of the appeal to me too. It's like, oh, cool. No one knows me out here. Like, uh, Not that that's a bad thing, but it's just kind of like you can start from scratch. And then she has that whole moment where Kyle MacLachlan says, hey, guess what? I know all about your past and, and brings up all this terrible shit she's done that she's been trying to run away from to – you know, uh, make her life better, but it, you know, it catches up to her. And so there's, I don't know. I, th- I felt like that scene was super powerful too, that he wait, Paul Verhoeven waited till halfway through the movie for us to uh, be revealed all that information about the main character. Yeah. There's something you know? about being able to just create yourself from scratch, you know, like that's like why I think the name know me this time as in N O me it could be kind of interesting right that there is no identity she doesn't have a social security number she has no family um we don't really know what past experiences she had but we kind of get the idea that she was involved in some shit you know slowly but yeah for me the first instance when you start to realize that oh she was a troublemaker i mean it's not just the fact that she has a knife that could just be like a, a scared little midwest girl that doesn't know what she's doing but no she knows how to handle that knife but it's really when she does the cocaine with uh kyle mclaughlin after sleeping with him because she was like no 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 like i'm not gonna get involved in this partying stuff i'm gonna be like this nice like 20 something year old young woman and who eats chips and has like tickling fights with my new roommate that I just met. Um, but then she fucking just rails up that line on her fingernail like she's done it a thousand times. <laughs> you know, she's done it a fucking thousand times. And you're like, oh, she has a past, you know. So but it's this idea that you can start afresh, that that you can make yourself who you want to be. And I think that's really interesting, you know. Yeah. One of the other things I think is interesting about this movie is how not not erotic it is. Uh, and you know, that pool scene wasn't for, erotic. Are you shitting me, uh, Jared? Uh, I am not shitting you. All that weird gyrating she was doing. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the points when I laughed. You know, not coming coming from this movie, having not seen it before, it was. Uh, I, I laughed a couple times. I laughed at the. You know, I'm surprised that. Uh, or he says, like, I wonder what it's like to have nobody come on you. I laughed at that line. <laughs> I laughed when she's gyrating on the pool in the pool, um, but. I wanted to ask, so if we think about RoboCop and Starship Troopers, both of them kind of hold a mirror up to the audience. 
Starship Troopers holds a mirror up to us saying that, like, okay, we all kind of have this hidden desire for fascism. And RoboCop holds a mirror to us saying that, like, you know, oh, we're just, like, these Americans who fucking love the blood and the gore and the violence and the just, like, the complete destruction. And we love... Uh, you know, how like all of this destruction is completely complicit in the structure of corporate America. What What is the mirror in this movie? And I don't know the answer to this because I'm still struggling with this movie. So I'm hoping you guys can maybe clarify it a bit for me. So my theory is that this is after he makes Basic Instinct, which is his big American film. Like, yeah, he did RoboCop before this, but Basic Instinct is when he is now in the world of particularly uh, women Right? Because Sharon Stone becomes this huge, uh, she was already known, but she just kind of reaches the stratosphere with basic instinct. And so I think that this is him in his efforts to explore misogyny and uh, the role of women in the entertainment industry in America, and particularly Hollywood. And so I think this is him now being in LA. Robocop is what, 87? 85, 87? 87. And this, and then basic basic instinct is ninety two. Uh, that I don't know. So then this is ninety, this is ninety five, and then we have Starship Troopers. It's ninety seven, right? So like, so I think that from like eighty seven to ninety five, let's say, it, or even let's just say it's a decade. What you have then is him kind of coming from his European experience where the film industry is rather different, and now he's in America and he's saying, "Holy shit, man! Like, I'm seeing." Some fucked up things, you know, this idea that everybody is a whore, that everyone is selling themselves, right? That And that's just part of the game. And you will get sucked into it, whether you like it or not. Not just the women, the men too, but it particularly is protracted on the feminine body, right? Not only do you have to take your clothes off, um, but also just in terms of how it will affect you. Like you beat yourself up. There's like infighting. You get injured. I mean, there's all kinds of costs associated with this. But no matter what, you will end up selling yourself so that you can achieve the thing that you think you desire. And I think that's really what this is. So it's a little bit less about America in a grand sense and more about I think Hollywood and the entertainment in particular which is still a very like it's a microcosm right like it's like a a synecdoche if you will of America but told through Hollywood but told through Vegas you know Mm. yeah I was always I was thinking that like in a sense I mean obviously the the big theme in the movie is that she can't escape being a prostitute. You know she we find out in the end that her background is that she had charges of possession she uh uh, armed robbery and ultimately prostitution solicitation and i was i had this theory that like we the movie going audience we are really the whore uh because we relish in elizabeth berkeley like on the one hand we're like really afraid of her boobs because uh you know it's creating all this controversy that this 20 year old saved by the bell star is in this movie and at the same time we're all kind of like getting off to it in private so like we're just as much of a whore that it's kind of relishing in this movie as the people that it's that it depicts i don't know if i would say that paul verhoeven was thinking of that i mean kind of death of the author version i can (laughs) see that that is a a thing that you can uh uh yeah, I mean, like, like he he definitely is an in-your-face director with the sex, which which I can I, in my opinion, just seeing interviews with him, I think he just does it because he thinks it's 
shocking and funny and cool, you know, like, mm-hmm. like most of the time. I mean, the, 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 the except the, the basic instinct one is cool because there's like power dynamics and there, it's like a, not as, you know, it's this weird shot and, uh, 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 the famous, you know, up the skirt vagina shot, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But then, but then, uh, there's a sex scene or the, the, the shower scenes in Starship Troopers, which is just kind of like, like, I think he wants to see a future where we don't care about, you know, it's not a big deal. We can all just like be naked together. I think as Paul Verhoeven's like a utopia. And if, if you, if you <laughs> just go off of his movies. So I think that he is fascinated by sex, I think. Yeah. But and and so the human what if, body. what if, what if the mirror is not that we're the whores as the audience, but we're the Johns because we're paying to get mm. the excitation. Right. And so oh, what if yes. then this is kind of, and this is going to be a weird comparison here, but what cabin in the woods is for horror films, this is for like, uh, erotic thrillers and for enticement and uh, and like I don't know what films would fit into that but maybe films like Basic Instinct like why do we love to go and see women selling themselves and then this is like doing a you're gonna hate this this is like doing like an Aaron Sorkin pulling the curtains behind the scenes right okay so you in the audience you love to get excited by these beautiful women who are showing their tits on in these shows but let me show you what's going on behind the scenes but in a really gross exploitative and caricatured sense and then he's saying that's what you're fucking buying right so it's like he's peeling the layers back and going see See? you're the Johns like you're just but you're just as complicit in this it's not it's not we don't need to demonize the the uh, sex worker no 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 as a matter of fact you're you're structurally enjoying this and here is the mirror i think that might be what's going on i like that do you think there's almost a trolley element going on here in that um we verhoven knows because it's, it's hard to remember a time before internet porn but 1995 was kind of before internet porn became a big thing and you could see naked women you know at the click of a button but back in the ni- in the mid 90s there was a huge market audience for people going to see hollywood movies just to see some tits mm-hmm. you know and um in a sense i feel like he's almost trolling the audience by making a quote-unquote erotic thriller that is decidedly not erotic at all like None of those scenes are really that titillating. They're all very exhibitionist, very in your face, yeah. I mean, very Verhoeven. I mean, like they're the the sex equivalent of, you know, one of those RoboCop action scenes with like blood and shit going everywhere. It's just so in your face, so, so like almost violent in its sexual exploitation. And think about how uh, the balls it took, or not, uh, to, to release an NC-17 film, or this one, like like to a mass yeah. audience that costs this much money, and that's got to be part of the reason it failed. Everyone went there going, "Oh man, a big budget X-rated movie, basically," and then they go and they get this. They don't get you know Deep Throat <laughs> or something, or mm. Debbie Goes to Dallas. They're like, "What the fuck is this shit?" You know, uh, yeah. people are getting you know the shit beat out of them and raped, and it's just like gritty and dark and then the uh uh, we haven't really talked about the long extended showgirl sequences this is basically a musical in a sense you know there's really long music uh uh, numbers that i think are pretty awesome so elaborate and and so many different set designs and so much uh, choreography and the, the professional dancers are amazing this is one of the things i was thinking about too is that there's also in the midst of all of this it's not just 
pure like corruption and nastiness and selling of bodies and buying of bodies and stuff like that. There's also genuine creativity and genuine artistic expression and a genuine desire to find yourself or to truly uh, create something that you're proud of, like that James character. Like he doesn't want to be involved in in like some of the stuff because he really wants to create his own thing, right? So it reminds me of this. It reminds me of this. You go to LA and you're like uh, you really believe in the craft of acting or in the craft of writing or the craft of directing and you get there and you're like man I got this fucking it's a neo malik masterpiece that people are going to look at me for and I'm going to be I'm, yeah I'm going to be I'm going to be the next thing right the next young hollywood is going to start with me and you go there and you get fucking robbed and you're like I just got to get a job so then you just get a job as a fucking intern at uh, an agency at WME where you're getting <laughs> pissed on by fucking asshole like not even not even with like the SVP you're like with some sort of reality TV you know uh, assistant assistant vice president who you're basically just a gopher for three years but this is the, the route. birthday clown that's some it. shit like that's that it, that's it yeah this is the route you have to take you got to make the connections and you got to hope that you can go to the Soho house or whatever the fuck it is that you're doing so that you can meet the right people at the right time and and all this other shit right and then you meet somebody and that's her meeting James and that person's like Hey, let's make something really authentic and real. But you guys are both really just using each other because you don't really authentically care. You're kind of just in this weird space. And so you don't really do it. And then finally, you know what? You get cast in a pilot because of some weird circumstances. Maybe you fuck a producer. Maybe you fuck the casting director. Whatever <laughs> happens. And so you get cast in a small part. And then somehow that leads to getting cast to the big part. And then you get kind of launched in it. But still... You're proud of James for doing that indie, you know, show that gets screened at Sundance or something Ooh. like that, you know? But, like, that's not the real – the real stuff. The real stuff of L.A. is the sitcom or is the blockbuster film, the studio film, not the little Ooh. indie film that was crowdfunded that got some love on the festival circuit. And so there's this interesting interplay here that you get between, like, creativity and authenticity but then also the business that is show business. And then that would make a a Andrew Carver would be Harvey Weinstein. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. On that note, before we go any further, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So a lot of us are stuck inside right now. Some of us with not much to do except wait for things to go back to normal, whenever that may be. One thing you can do to keep your mind limber and keep yourself from going insane is to learn some new skills. That's where Skillshare comes in. If you're looking to explore new skills or get inspired or deepen your existing passions, Skillshare is an online learning community where you can explore and discover thousands of classes on a wide variety of topics like graphic design, productivity, creative writing, film and video freelancing and more and i want to emphasize the community aspect because during quarantine finding a group of people online to share the same interests as you can be really rewarding it's not like you're going to be meeting anyone irl anytime soon so if you're looking for a class to take in the past i've recommended iphone filmmaking creating cinematic video on your phone and creative nonfiction, write truth with style uh taught by susan orlean as well as everyday minimalism finding calm and creativity in simple living by aaron boyle but today i want to plug a new class filmmaking from home how to turn found footage into a compelling video taught by penny lane so uh penny is a nonfiction filmmaker her most recent documentary was hail satan and she'll teach you how to take found footage and edit it into something compelling 
So when you compare Skillshare to expensive in-person workshops or night classes, it's pretty affordable. An annual subscription is less than 10 bucks a month. And right now they're offering Show Me The Meaning listeners two free months. All you got to do is go to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack for two free months of unlimited access to awesome classes. And now back to the show. Um, I read this article called In Defense of Showgirls, A Misunderstood Movie Masterpiece. Unfortunately, I didn't write the author down, but I liked this quote that he said. He said, viewed now, it's difficult to imagine that anybody ever mistook Showgirls for a failure. Its hothouse atmosphere and floridly overripe dialogue are not errors in artistic judgment, but the point of the entirely of the entire elaborately tacky enterprise, which takes barely disguised swipes at decadent Western society where horny businessmen blow their expense accounts on lap dances and upward mobility means being willing to push someone else down the stairs. Early on, Verhoeven shoots Nomi bumping and grinding wildly to the strains of David Bowie's I'm Afraid of Americans, (laughs) a soundtrack cue that could be taken as a thesis statement. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, okay, this is the ultimate question. Is Verhoeven afraid of americans is he does he does he like hate americans or is he just fascinated or is it like some combination of the three like but and how do we like what do we think about this i think he i think he uh 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 enjoys in like a darkly comical way our aggressively (laughs) dumb society (laughs) and culture like like you know just how yeah yeah, anybody any idiot can come here and have a bright idea and you know that's the idea is he can come here and then maybe make it big and then yeah so basically he's he's creating this world this hyper realized america over the top america where yeah everyone has is trying just fighting for the american dream but in this movie everyone's a total dick and it's just like the underbelly of that scenario as opposed to the rah-rah you know 50s version or whatever um Mm. yeah i i think that he's just and and also you got that age-old uh theme of of the 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 downfalls of of fame and trying to trying to make it you know that's in that's been there since a star is born Hmm. you know that kind of that kind of arc yeah if america was a sex show and there were people in this and the and the americans are the ones masturbating to the sex show verhoven is the guy in the back just taking notes and laughing at everybody (laughs) (laughs) oh that's such a great way to put it yeah do you think do you think that um nomi is a a bad character like like not not a bad yeah not, not a poorly written but like she's a bad she's bad yeah she it, 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 it's like she came in as starry eyed and bushy tailed then she turns into Daniel Plainview will do anything for success you know uh, uh, and and I think but that does she, but does she really do it for success or does she do it just out of hatred for Gina Gershon's character. Either way, I think that having that moment, that very bold choice of having her push her down the stairs, you know, like that's him signifying that that she is not to be, you know, she's kind of irredeemable in a weird way. Do you think that's like her in past the movie. kind of coming back? Like that that's who she really is, you know? And I mean, there is kind of a commentary I think you can make that, yeah, he's he's kind of saying like like your worst your worst demons will always be there kind mm-hmm. of thing and no matter what. I mean, I think that's kind of a dep- cynical take, but like you, I think it is kind of there in the text. <laughs> well, the movie is about her trying to escape being a whore and I think one of the most tragic things about the movie is no matter what she does, she only dives deeper into the world of being a whore. So yeah. even when Gina Gershon tries to make her a literal whore by 
making her go to that uh, conference where she has to, or, well, she doesn't end up doing it, but she's asked to please that Thai businessman. Um, she pushes Gina Gershon down the stairs to say, like, no, I'm not a whore. I have agency. I'm an individual. But ironically, that just pushes her more into Kyle MacLachlan's camp, and he pimps her out like a whore, and then she becomes very much one. I mean, it's even under the guise of being a prostitute that she's actually even let into Andrew Carver's room. Mm. And Because uh, it's not, and it's th- not th- an that individual was... thing, right? It's not a choice that you make necessarily. Like, you can choose to whore yourself out, but the point is, is that this business, the business of show business, uh, if you want to play the game... You got to whore yourself no matter what. Right. To some, I think you said someone. right. It's a tragedy. It's a tra- the whole the movie is an American tragedy. I think that, that he would maybe agree that that fits the description. The end in particular, I was just thinking about this, is very tragic because she has this supposed apotheosis, right? That she is like, I've come to find myself. I realize I got to get out of this town. You know, she goes and visits both the the women in the hospital, both Gina Gershon and uh, what is it, Crystal? Yeah, Crystal and Molly. She visits both of them and she's kind of like, there's this reconciliation. She's going to leave the world. She's not going to benefit from pushing Gina Gershon down the stairs, right? She's going to refuse that because that wasn't authentic. But what happens? She just gets back in. It's like uh, history repeating itself. The return of the same, right? She gets back in the exact same car that brought her into Vegas. So she gets into that car that's going to take her into LA. And where does she go? She goes from one setting where you have to whore yourself to another setting, maybe perhaps the setting where you have to whore yourself. And so again, I think there's like this almost faded tragedy that no matter what, I mean, you could go back to the ancient Greeks and talk about this idea that you have been fated, that you will sleep with your mother and kill your father, right? Like that sort of Oedipus thing, right? And that's the fates here. And no matter what you do, you can't escape the fates. The fates will grab you and they will pull you along. There's a really nice moment in the movie... (laughs) There's a really nice moment in the movie that kind of uh, sells that point that you're talking about. A couple times throughout the movie, they keep asking her, have you ever heard Caesar sing? You'll love it. And they're probably trying to bait her in to basically have sex. Um, And it's not until the end when she's at her own celebration party that she finally sees Caesar sing uh, at, at her after party for her opening night debut. And it's like even by denying the offer to be a real whore, she ends up right back in that situation where she's seeing Caesar sing and she's whoring herself out. Mm. Yeah. And what's the difference? Yeah. Like, like if you're, if you're whoring yourself out, but you're on top of the world, is that a bad thing? Or have you somehow beaten the system? Like, I think a lot of people think they've different beaten. strokes for different folks. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Is it? Is it like different strokes for different folks, or is it? Because I think for Verhoeven, it's not. I think he's he's being critical of that. But you know, definitely from the LA mentality, it's like, hey, you just got to play the game. But that's cool because you still retain your autonomy because of the radical individualist spirit, the ambitious spirit of kind of the American ethos. So it's like, do you lose yourself, or is there a sense in which you can kind of beat the game and does she beat the game from not from his perspective but maybe from like a different perspective well i personally am fascinated with interviews with porn former porn stars you know and just kind of their different takes on their former life you know because some of them you can tell are very just 
matter of fact, reasonable, grounded, like, yeah, that, I did that, whatever, I owned it, you know, and, and I, it was awesome, and I made a lot of money, and fuck, fuck everyone. And then a lot of people are like, dude, that was, I brainwashed myself, or I was brainwashed and exploited, and it was the worst thing I ever did, and I did it for three months, and now it's like, you know, Mia, Maya Khalifa or whatever, you know, she, she did it for like three months, she's like one of the most famous porn stars ever, and she like totally regrets it, and she did it for like three months when she was 20. She's like, fuck, you know, what did I do? So I feel like that is, it's like different personalities uh, uh, go at it a different way. It's psychology, and, and, and it was cool for her, like the character Elizabeth Berkeley plays is like a wild card character. It's, it's like, th that's in movies all the time. You never know what she's going to do. She's kind of going off the handle, and uh, that makes her dramatic and interesting, but it's cool that it, it was interesting that, sh that they made her the main character, someone so kind of... You know, yeah, like that. Like, like she, she, she does not really have a good head on her shoulders. I think objectively, yeah. you'd say, right? Yeah, she's easily manipulatable and the kind of worst person you'd want to end up in this situation. See, that's the question: Is there essentially a sort of misunderstanding of feminine autonomy here, right, or agency? Because is she portrayed as just being a victim through and through? And is that then a sort of insufficient commentary on agency that if you are going to be a sex worker um it's not whoring yourself out but it's actually an autonomous decision made by an agent that is rational rather than it just being something that you get caught up in and that you fall into that would be the flip side that maybe verhoven doesn't emphasize enough because maybe he's just seeing this too much from a particular lens right and that the kind of like pro pro sex worker maybe a more sort of robust view of thinking about it from the perspective of feminine agency would say that no 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 you're not being victimized all the time but actually you do have this autonomy that is cutting through all of the pressures that are structurally imposed from outside when you guys imagine Paul Verhoeven directing like let's say he's directing one of the scenes where Elizabeth Berkeley overacts a little <laughs> bit you know she's very reactionary whenever someone says something negative to her she kind of like freaks out and starts running away do you imagine him like maybe she does a take and it's a little bit more understated and he goes no 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 no. it needs to be big it needs to be ridiculous I think it so. needs to be barely believable you think so or does he just or does he just get those quote-unquote bad performances and just you know to like privately to himself just says yes and puts it in his back pocket. I think he absolutely day one or at the reading is like, look guys, we are creating a heightened reality here. Okay. This is a, this is not, we're not making a doc, a documentary, you know, we're not making a cinema, cinema verite, verite film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're making a, a, a genre film and we want the emotions to be big. And you know, these are big sweeping themes. And so, yeah, give it, give no, too much is not too much. You can go as much as big as you'd like. I think it's probably his biggest direction. And probably they give him his biggest and he goes, I want bigger. Bigger, yeah. <laughs> in, in Dutch. <laughs> I was thinking about that particularly with the pool scene, the sex scene in the pool. Like there's no way that Elizabeth Berkeley <laughs> comes on set that day and is like, I have this idea, Paul, that I I think that she should well, okay. really – Like clearly he's like, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be more. It's got to be – get into it more. I can totally see him being like, one, coaching her up that it's got to be bigger. And then two, doing repeated takes where it's like, no, more, bigger, faster, harder, whatever. This is actually a part of the. <laughs> this is actually a part of the history of this film, and actually, in a oh weird meta way, I'll go on my own meta rant now. Uh, uh, yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley uh, is ex her experience making this movie kind of uh, 
juxtaposes with her character in the movie and how fucked over she got. You know, she came over, she made it in Hollywood as the Saved by the Bell uh, chick. You know, she's there. Everyone knows her. She's one of the most, uh, one of the most popular uh, shows in the world. And then she uses her bit, all her clout from that to go into, you know, this guy who just made this big movie, you know, and it turns, and he totally directed, she regrets making this movie like a porn star would regret her former life mm. because this ruined her career, mm-hmm. you know, and Paul Verhoeven, you know, uh, is responsible for that in a big way because she didn't. She did not uh, come to the to the the set. You know, act with this character and how she per- performed it in mind. That was definitely all Paul Verhoeven, and she went along with it because she trusted her director. You know, that's how many times have you heard that in a you know in a horror <laughs> story? And yeah, uh, uh, it, it ended her, and he went on to make you know big movies. Are you saying and I'm not that blaming, he's a I'm pimp? not blaming Paul Verhoeven. I'm not saying he's a pimp, but he had all he had the control. He had final cut over her portrayal in this movie, and it shattered her career and an image in in. I don't think you know. I think she, yeah. It's just a, it's just a story. It's just a, a parable for for. I think it, for I think Hollywood. it took twenty five years, but I think Elizabeth Berkeley is a little bit warmer towards the film now because she's actually showed up at at least one of the midnight showings of this movie. Hell yeah! Probably needs the money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, anything else you want to bring up before we go into the mailbag? You know, I just through this conversation, I'm even more convinced that this might be a masterpiece. Um, it's <laughs> it is oh, a masterpiece. It is it is so fascinating. I think that there's, I think you could actually go through like character by character, uh, scene by scene. You could look at the different plot lines. I think the structure of the film is really interesting. I noticed that there's a clear three acts, and uh, but the first act is an hour long. It's an hour long. There's a fade to black. And from that fade to black, that's when she gets cast and she starts dancing. So the first the first act, let's say, is her getting to Vegas, getting set up, doing her dancing at the Cheetah Club. And then the second act starts when she gets the job as a showgirl, which is an hour in. And then you have about Whoa. 45 yeah, yeah. minutes of the second act where it's her as just a, a chorus line dancer. And then you have the final act, which is her kind of reaching that pinnacle and then ultimately then the, the conclusion at the end. And so what is a two-hour, 45-minute film or something like that? But – I think it's yeah. a really interesting film. Like, there's so much to analyze. Like, why is why are the acts broken up the way they are? Like, what are we supposed to focus on? Like, why is there a disproportionate? Yeah, like, what's going on here? I think there's so much going on that you could analyze. Um, so, yeah, I think it's wonderful. Hundred percent concur. The the, uh, uh, the the last thing I'd like to bring up uh, uh, earlier in the chat, I saw somebody, a guy named Ninja Please, said, "Who do you guys think is the modern Verhoeven?" And uh, uh, I think that's oh, a gosh, great I question. Know. I actually have a good answer. I think hmm. I would go. I'm going to go with uh, Ari Aster, the Midsommar director, because oh, I think that he, that guy makes big budget genre films that have the darkest sensibilities, oh, but that small humor. Budget. Well, okay, it's it's not. They're not micro budget or indie movies, but they're big budget for what they are. They're you know for for uh, Midsommar costs a fair amount of money. I think. For what it is. Either way, even if it's mid mid budget, hmm. he makes he makes genre pieces that uh, are dark have dark sense of humor, but also you know are dark in them, of themselves. You know, Paul Verhoeven wasn't as much of a horror guy, but still, I think that they share a lot of. He's he's my pick for modern Verhoeven. I think that is a good pick. I really don't have anyone to add to that conversation because I'm still. I'm still learning about Verhoeven, and he's bewildering me with every movie I watch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to go into the voicemails. You can hit us up at 213-534-8807 or 21ElfHut07, where the elves party. Let's hear one from Alexis. Hi. Show me the meaning crew. My name's Alexis in D.C. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and I was just wondering that since the world isn't going to end anyway, I was hoping you guys could talk about which movies are an accurate depiction of how the world's going to end, like which apocalypse movies really hit the mark. Um, would love to know your thoughts, and we'll continue to uh, listen to your podcast. Thanks. Bye. Well, clearly it's mid. I mean, it's uh, uh, the, the Lars von Trier uh, Melancholia, Melancholia film. Yeah, we're our planet's going to just collide with another planet. But other than that. Um, which is the most accurate? What do you guys think? Well, it was, she says which one hit the mark, and I will kind of equate that to the most on the nose apocalypse movie, and that would be uh, what was Elysium? Oh, fuck. Elysium! Just, you think we're gonna have a flying mega utopia in the sky that the rich yeah, people are just, gonna live in? The just, world just in terms in. of so social stratification, economic stratification, as well as like the world that is the one that the people of the lower class inhabit is one that's overrun by uh, climate issues and disease and stuff like that. And I, I don't even like, I don't even like There's that. actually, I actually wrote about this. Um, I, I think it's in a piece that hasn't come out yet, but um, uh, I, I actually say that that is the world that kind of is being produced. And I think that's pretty accurate. There's this guy, if people are interested, his name is uh, Evgeny, Evgeny Muratsov, and he writes about what's called the neo-feudal economy. And so he's written like short pieces in like, like the Guardian and stuff like that. So they're really accessible, but it's M-R-O- Oh, well, yeah, M-R-O-Z-O-V, I think, Muratsov. Um, But Yevgeny is his first name. And he writes about, like, the how that's the world that we're basically moving towards. Not more capitalism and more capitalism, but actually a sort of, like, new feudalism, where basically you have these feudal lords that are extracting exorbitant amount of rents, and they kind of live in their palatial spaces. And then there's the plebs who are just feeding data and information that can be extracted to the tune of trillions of dollars worth of like capital assets. And so we're just plugged into our fucking platforms and machines, kind of like Wally too. I think Wally's probably a pretty good dystopian picture about everyone's just pacified and we're all just sitting around gorging ourselves, not necessarily getting physically overweight, but we're getting at least uh, in terms of intelligence, we're just getting gorged, if you will, on sugar, quote unquote, just sugar inputs, right? And and uh, I think that that's pretty accurate. So, mm. so I'm looking at a list right now, of apocalyptic films. And honestly, the one that I feel like just scares me the most in terms of me thinking about me being in that situation is Waterworld. <laughs> I'm thinking about <laughs> me being in a situation where I'm just looking for land, the last bit of it or the last bit of fresh water. And like we're all fighting for it. And that just sucks. Anyway, is there uh, what's, the, what's the dystopian film that you want? to live in that you feel like you'd either best equipped to survive in star wars zombie land yeah come on <laughs> slow give me a world of slow zombies where i can have a cool group of group of people and just like mad freedom to hang like that's that's what i want yeah 
All right, we're going to go into the mailbag. You can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. We got a couple of good emails about RoboCop. This one is from Paulo. He says, regarding the part where RoboCop can only kill Dick Jones after he gets fired, although one of the themes in the movie is humanity, I guess that in the end, the bureaucracy overcomes everything, especially if the guy can only be killed by a technicality, which fits the grim mood that nothing is ever solved. In the new RoboCop movie, they do exactly as you describe, where his humanity overcomes the mechanical part, and it sadly sucks. Not sure because of the direction acting or producer intervention have, have either of you guys seen the new robocop no no i, I heard haven't. it blue yeah i i had not seen well i guess none of us brought that up so none of us had seen it but that's super interesting i mean it fits though right like that's that's what i thought yeah apollo's point is great yeah and and that's kind of that's kind of a very sort of tropey hollywood thing to be like the truth inside of you, the goodness inside of you, the angels of our better nature can like emerge sort of shit. So it makes sense that that would be the direction they went in the newer RoboCop. Yeah, but Verhoeven doesn't fuck with that. No, man, he's European. He's European. <laughs> he's got that fucking pessimism in him, dude. <laughs> oh, oh, real quick, Jared. We, uh, yeah. Travis Huey in the chat had a re- had a, a good pick for the modern Verhoeven. Ooh, bowl. Oh God! Ooh! Oh man! He's not the I think not the Paul Verhoeven well, we want, but the Paul Verhoeven we deserve, probably. You know, Austin is an Uvable expert. <laughs> yeah, so I did I did a series on him on another podcast, and I actually got into like a Twitter discussion with Uvable about. I I'm not gonna lie. Nice. I, uh, there's a film I can't remember the name of it now, but it was one of his more recent ones that he did, where it's about like cops and shit like that. And I actually think it's really fucking oh, postal. Yeah, postal. Did he threaten That's, to box you? N- no, like because I was like, I think he, I, th- uh, I think he's a genius actually. Like with this film, and I was being a little bit tongue in cheek, but like I, he's definitely misunderstood. I, I do think there is a substance there in what he's trying to do. Have you seen the? There's a Uva Bowl documentary. I think it's called. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's on Amazon. You should check it out because it makes me like him a lot. Anyway, this next one is from Walter. Hey, Wisecrack, Walter here. I love the RoboCop top. Rogo, RoboCop talk. I'd like to follow up on the action figure discussion you had about the irony of RoboCop toys. How do you think director Paul Verhoeven would feel about RoboCop's most recent resurgence in pop culture? His appearance as a playable character in the more, in the video game Mortal Kombat 11, for example. I love his inclusion in the game and his characters dripping in personality and callbacks to the films. Also, an American-made game that, reveal, that revels in the excess of violence seems even more appropriate for RoboCop after listening to your episode. Thanks for the talk, and I really hope you guys do Showgirls next, which we did, Walter. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually, after reading this email, I went on YouTube and I checked out all of the different cinematics that RoboCop has in Mortal Kombat 11, and I think Verhoeven would love it. I think it only just adds to his overall thesis in yeah, the movie. It underlines Kombat, the stupidity, and he's like, yep, there we go, that's Americans. <laughs> Thank you very Mortal much. Kombat, man, remember even during, like, the mid nineties, like when showgirls came out, mortal Kombat was this topic of so much controversy because it was so violent and there was blood mm-hmm. in it. And it was, it's just, is the perfect companion piece for RoboCop. Yeah. Isn't it funny? America is a weird place. Like we obviously in one sense, we love violence because we are like have imperialistic military, uh, history that's kind of defines our country and maybe even still to this day, right? And then, of course, we also love sex in the sense that 
we celebrate so much nudity and things like that in, in television and in film. But at the same time, we've also got like this Puritan, like we're afraid of sex and we hide from sex. And there's like this perpetual guilt that, that comes along with it. It's kind of strange. And I wonder if that's kind of one of the things that he's picking up on, right? Is that there's this there are these tensions and these conflicts that kind of make up the American totality. Mm. Well, we definitely like, uh, we were talking about the, all the nude scenes and all those movies in the nineties. Like, I feel like you don't see very many full on sex scenes in movies very much anymore. You see a lot of them in TV, you know, but, but I mm. feel like I, it's been a while since I've been at the movies where I, I was like, wow, that's a shocking, uh, just, you know, male or female nudity uh, scene, you know, like, like, or sex scene or anything like that. Like, it comes and goes. There aren't that many R-rated movies anymore. I guess. Of a theatrical Yeah, it's an economic thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was in the golden age of sex on screen in cinema, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and violence, too. Like, are are films as violent as they were? Great combo. Are sex and violence? (laughs) (laughs) Are are films as violent? I mean, I guess, like, that was one of the big controversies that came out with Avengers, right? Like, half the world is just fucking destroyed. These cityscapes are just wiped out, but it's all in the name of, what, like, these superheroes? Yeah, that's all, like, like whitewashed violence. Yeah, Yeah, like, I I do think it is... It's an interesting topic because the, the the violence I think has gotten more extreme. I've seen more insane violence uh, mm. uh, in the last ten years in indie movies and mainstream movies than than and I feel like we go the opposite way on sex. You know, uh, mm. it's weird. Hey, yeah, interesting. All right, guys. Well, I think we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, before we go, where can we find you guys on the internet, Ryan? You can find me at Ryan's Game Show and on Twitter. And Austin. Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Uh, I'm on Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y. I do a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. You can just Google me. Uh, this stuff. All right, guys. Well, we will be back after 4th of July with another movie that we have yet to figure out yet. But thank you, everybody, for joining us on this Verhoeven train. It's been quite a pleasure. <laughs> uh, what? So it sounds like we got to what? Do Basic Instinct next? Uh, what's uh, the- if we want to keep the train rolling. <laughs> I don't want to do Basic Instinct. Hey, let's look at his IMDb after this and we'll talk. we got to keep the Verhoeven train rolling. Maybe one of his Dutch movies, that, his early Dutch movies that are supposed to be good. Oh, that's true. For, for a, that's true. For a vegetable. Okay. All right, right, guys. We'll catch you later. Peace. Peace, y'all. 